the four horsemen. What you have here is the four horsemen united live in exciting color. Um, not those four horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's the four horsemen. We obviously need some equipment if anybody wants to donate a table that's adult sized or uh, <laughs> that's so not that's not me sized. If, if you will, uh, we will mail you an anointed prayer cloth. Send your donation to Westwood Baptist Church. Yes, I will. I might even slobber in it. (laughs) We're not talking about COVID today, Dennis. Uh, Holy drippings. Yes. yes. (laughs) Get under the spout where the glory comes. Glory comes out. Hey, man. (laughs) Well, we're back with the original four. This is the original four horsemen. The squad. Want to welcome the great Reverend Rabbi Terry Hollifield back to. That's good to be here. The mixing. We're not worthy. (laughs) So last week you kind of gave an update on ourselves, what we're doing. So give a quick update on you guys. You, Uh, me, I am uh, still staff pastor at Reach Life Church, which Um, surprises us all. (laughs) Yeah, it's the endurance of the congregation, right? It's the perseverance of the saints. That's it. so yeah, uh, and uh, I'm also going to school part time, uh, working on a master's degree and in ethics, and that's about it. That's, that's about it. what's going on. Here. What school are you going to? The Southeastern. Ah, okay. The Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Sebits. Located Sebits. in the town of Wake Forest. Yeah. But it's a master's in ethics, theology, and culture, and how those kind of work together. Um, so, and I, I'm actually loving it. Good. It's, it's good Terry stuff. is going to make the ERLC great again <laughs> one day. It would be terrible to flunk ethics. <laughs> right, right, yeah. What, what happens if you don't make it? Sorry, I wasn't good yes, enough. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's cool. So at Reach Life and uh, staff pastor, they meet with us in our building and it's been great for several years and good partnership until so, yeah until what until now yeah, yeah. yeah it's not good no more y'all are out i mean it is out. west asheville how yeah. good can you do y'all gotta leave all your stuff so you can't take them. leave our toys <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh anyway before we dive into the conversation i do want to tell you those of you who are watching on youtube to like and subscribe uh, to our page and, and share it with folks and hopefully this week it works well. Sorry about last week. We're still working out the glitches. And so, but we want to start to dive into a, a very controversial topic. We may get kicked off of YouTube today. Um, but we want to talk about uh, politics and the pulpit. And, you know, I know Dennis can probably speak to this since he's a little, he's the elder statesman. But so much began the, the um, force of the church in politics really revved up uh, in the 70s with Jimmy Carter and then with the uh, moral majority with Jerry Falwell. And and I, I do believe that um, in that moment that, you know, they were fighting against abortion in particular. Um, but now it seems as though uh, religion and politics are, are morphed together in just about everything. And um, it, it's become kind of a very controversial topic. I was reading a New York Times article that was talking about 
evangelicalism isn't about Jesus anymore. It's about a political party. And that was obviously the New York Times, which is slanted. So, uh, it, but that's the viewpoint that a lot of people have. So yeah, it's a biased piece of crap. <laughs> Sugar Straight from Dennis Thurman. <laughs> yeah, sugar coating. He's not pastoring locally anymore. He can say whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, so, he has immunity. So did, you want to speak to the moral majority days in particular sure. and how that looked and what that was about? So Yeah, because guys, I was really uh, involved at the outset of that. So my first uh, candidate that I supported was George McGovern, but I was not a Christian. So he, people say he was who? he was he was about you know uh, legalizing dope and I was, I was all on board with that. My my how things come full circle. Here we are, twenty twenty one. Yeah. So so anyway, but I was not quite old enough to vote at that time. But uh, my first election was uh, Carter and Ford, and so for the first and last time, <laughs> I voted for a Democrat for president. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, freshly, right. And he was born again. didn't mind talking about it. So I thought, well, this is great. This is awesome. Having a good, dedicated, vocal Christian. He's a Sunday school office. teacher, Sunday school right. teacher, Plains, Georgia, <laughs> peanut, Mr. Peanut. So anyway, it just seemed like the, the thing to do, but very quickly when he got in and started actually implementing policies, mm -hmm then it became obvious to me that, uh, you know, what he said and the way he applied his, mm -hmm. quote, faith were two radically different things. How so? How did, how did that? Well, what was the, 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 I mean, the liberalism that was present there. I mean, it wasn't fully entrenched uh, nuttiness like we have today, but it was, it was heading that way. And, uh, you know, as a result of that, as soon as Reagan pops up, I'm like, I'm all in for that, man, you know, and, uh, now is Carter pro-choice. Yeah, really. I mean, practically, I mean, he would probably say, you know, same kind of mealy mouth stuff, but personally, you know, <laughs> like Biden does. Yeah. Faith you know, legal. But, in Bi there. but Biden didn't say so that was Clinton. Biden, yeah, that's gone by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Biden, Biden is full on, you know, pro murder. <laughs> so, uh, but right now, um, you know, looking at Reagan coming on board, this my first church that I served in Cane River, which was probably filled with Democrats, um, I had little comprehension of these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So in the National Citizen Times, there came out this comparison sheet of policies between Carter and, and Reagan. So I had the audacity of of mimeographing those. <laughs> Y'all may not even know what that is. So old technology. Google it. But yeah, Google it. But but I passed that out in church wow. on a Sunday morning service. Yeah. Without commentary, just saying you, know, you weren't endorsing a candidate. I was you not showing yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was, and in people papers. I mean, and yeah, it yeah. was in the liberal rag, the Asheville Citizen Times. So anyway, I passed, <laughs> passed that out. And and you know, uh, the moral majority came along. Jerry mm -hmm. Falwell, watching him on TV, you know, and uh, he's talking about all those important issues. So I just jumped right into that, you know, full full blast. Right. You got you got Dennis fired up, Adam. Yeah, I know. He's but, spicy today. But but I do think, <laughs> you know, and I think we would all agree here that the church speaking into issues like life, like against abortion. Um, I don't believe that a, a Christian with a true biblical worldview could stand and say you know, I'm pro-choice or I'm for, it just is in conflict. So I understand that uh, 
it's important for the church to speak for life. Um, and we can go down that trail one day about why. Um, but, but it appears to me that it's becoming more than actual biblical issues, that it's becoming more about a political party rather than it is the issues at hand. Do y'all want to speak to that, Terry? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's a it's a shift in, in what is considered orthodox, isn't it? Right. So it's an epistemological issue. How do we? Which means what? For which the, means how do for we? Me and those people listen. <laughs> how do we? How do we arrive at what we believe? Why? Why do we believe those? Things? How do we know those things are true? And a yeah. lot of times, it seems like these days it's not a a, a biblical basis. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a, a Christian worldview basis. It's not based on anything like that. It's based on what what do my sources of authority tell me? And usually those sources of authority are a political party on one side of the aisle or the other. News. News. Or, uh, you know, what's what's pop culture? You know, it's an, it's an appeal to the majority. What the majority of the people say? Well, that's most reasonable. Right. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a, an authoritative, it's a source of authority issue. Right. You know, whether it's no longer the word of God or... Um, a biblical worldview extrapolated from the world, the word of God. It's a it's a culture in rather than a in to the culture. But but it is a worldview, and no question about it. And, and it's not a, a biblical firm, one. It's a yeah. firm belief system. It is a religion, mm-hmm. uh, full throated. Yeah. Uh, Marxism is what we have here, and and this you know anti God, anti Christ, anti life, and and basically you've got a political party. This is my take on it. That is full bore committed to that radical satanic agenda. And then you have another party that's mealy mouth, wishy washy, you know, and here, here's the two choices you have. Well, to me, I'd rather have the spineless sniveling group over the ones that are just anti, you know, anti God, anti Christ. And, and then I think you would probably, I'm putting words in your mouth, but advocate a third way. Better way. Amen. I would, of course. <laughs> and I would say that it's a political thing, really, Dennis. In um, in both parties, you know, there's a, there's a there's a it's like the fringe now is the majority. Right. Yeah, true. On, on both sides, yeah. you know. So and so, it used to be we had good old boys who were in the church, Sunday school teachers or whatever, didn't know a, a drop of their Bible. You know, probably not Sunday school teachers, maybe deacons. You know, that sort of thing. And they were, if, if you were to lay out their lives practically, it was football, America, beer, family, God. Deacons, yes. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, but, but no, we deacons have, are at the top. But, but we, have, we have a lot of those now who, who are, you know, waving the Christian flag, and it's not Christian. You know, you got dude in the uh, buffalo horns on January 6th or whatever. Oh, yeah. Christian flags around him. Well, no. That's not what Christianity looks like. That's not what that is. No. And, well, he was a shaman. Yeah, he was a... Right. So, so it was Antifa infiltrating. It right. wasn't, oh, oh, oh. Well, I mean, that's that's another topic. But the whole Christian nationalism stuff, that, that's exactly what that is. That That is a... Uh, kind of sterile, culturally Christian version of politics. It's not actually... It doesn't actually have like a biblical it's not a, it's not even a connection. theological thing it's right a political thing exactly what you're saying yeah which, which has it's just exploiting the cross for political but, gain but basically. i but i think that that realistically when, when we look at this thing it's not really a, 
bipartisan issue. It, it degenerates into that sometimes in the polarization. But but for me, I don't care what you call yourself, how you brand yourself, what party you belong to. It is those enduring values that we must hold to. And so I'm going to organize my politics according to what I see evident in those, sure. in those policies. And and so... And mimeograph it and hand it out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, man, uh, Google that mimeograph. Yeah, yeah. What I, I, would, I would say, though, and, and you guys can agree with me or disagree, I think the problem is, is that, as you said, and I would agree with you, and we all in here have principles that are rooted in scripture on why we vote the way we vote. And I think that's what you were somewhat hitting on. I don't know that the majority of people, and this is a generalization, but I don't know that the majority of people hold those same biblical principles as to the reason why they vote. Their authority is Fox, Trump, Biden, Harris, whoever, CNN. The authority is not scripture. The authority is someone other than God Mm -hmm. and the Bible. And I think that that's where, because I've learned uh, and I've backed away, believe it or not, um, from debating online and things of that nature. Most people, even in politics, don't really know what they believe about the topic. It's just like, there's a liberal, I'm against them. There's a conservative, I'm against them. I don't really know why we hate each other, but we're going to hate each other. That's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope not. But I think that that's a, a, a big time majority of people because you see it on the streets. And I know it's a, a, a joke thing Well, they'll go and they'll like, what do you think about this? And they'll they'll read like Trump's policies, but they won't say it's Trump. And the people's like, absolutely. I agree with that. And they're right. like, what's well, Donald Trump? Why? Well, hate him. But yeah. it's just not yeah. rooted in orange actual, man. Bad. It's not rooted in actual principles, in particular biblical principles. And I think that that's where uh, we as believers in Christ, man, it's got to be our foundation and from everything uh, that we do. So to kind of turn that time. Can, can I say something else on that? Well, I was going, yeah, go for it. Um, so to kind of tie in with what Terry said earlier, it is epistemological because we're basically in an expert culture where everybody's an expert. We have Google. If you talk, it doesn't matter the issue you pick. You pick COVID stuff, you pick politics stuff, you pick abortion, you pick economics, you pick immigration, whatever the issue is. Uh, no, n- Most people do not really have their opinion of, right. based on evidence, based on empirical facts, this is the conclusion I've come to. It's like you said, there's an expert that I'm siding with, and that expert has said it. Therefore, that's how, that's how I can know it's true because an expert said it. Right. And so when you look at all these issues that are divisive in the church, a lot of times you can find an, an expert, somebody that has a PhD in whatever you want, that has whatever position you want. And the one thing that we don't consider to be an expert on subjects is the Bible. Right. And so really what Christians do, and, and the, the thing is, is Christians have done this for a long time. So it's not just with politics. It's like they don't consult the Bible for their relationships, for their finances, for their social life, for the uh, the way that they man- manage their responsibilities in the workplace. The Bible, especially, you know, for both us coming from back, back, Baptist backgrounds, people claim, you know, the authority of the Bible. But the question is, is really the epistemology of like, okay, it's one thing to say that I think that the Bible is an expert. It's one thing to actually consult the Bible on my decision making. Right. And most most American Christians don't do that. And so like you said, their their theology of po- political issues comes more from a news media source or an expert or some kind of figure that has a YouTube channel or like whatever it is 
and not saying here's chapter and verse what God said, and he's more of an expert than anybody else, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with that. That's just that's not a, a thing that happens for a lot of people in culture. Well, also, you find that the expert that is chosen is usually somebody who <laughs> confirms my bias. Yeah, exactly. What right. So confirmation yeah. bias is gigantic these days. Yeah, and it's it's very. Uh, it's unusual for the Bible to confirm my my previously held bias, right? Like usually the Bible wants to it corrects me, which is, you know, praise God. It's part of what its job is. It's it's the mirror that I can see my soul in. Because um, people on both of those sides, if they can cult, uh, consult Scripture, it's going to rebuke both of them. Sure, it rebukes yeah, everybody. Exactly. Or they or they can find uh, validation if they look right. at things out of context. Yeah. From what yes. They Yes. Yeah, and I think and I think that's something we do take for granted. Speaking about politics, you know, obviously, if you can't tell, all of us in here are pretty conservative, you know, in a lot or would Besides be labeled that, labeled conservative. If I find Ultra. somebody farther yeah. to the right than me, I repent and move. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that can be dangerous. Um, Adolf Hitler was pretty right. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, I was like, no, uh, saying, what's 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 the new saying where everything goes to Hitler? Oh yeah, it's what? like some principle. Yeah. Anyways, um, but the thing that I've realized, I who acted like Hitler. You know, I when I uh, when I spent my year working for a very liberal organization and working alongside people who were in the LGBT community or whatever, one of the things that I did realize is like. Uh, it's easy for us as conservatives based on those kind of that expert culture to just dismiss wholesale everything that's being said. Correct. And that's a big problem that we see. I know you guys are in Asheville, so it's a little more diverse as far as views than like Haywood County where I'm at. But like I know people that are uh, pretty liberal on something like, you know, universal health care or uh, immigration or something like that. And when you act, when you actually have a conversation with them about why they have that view, it's because it's rooted in compassion for that person. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can we can both be compassionate and disagree on okay, how do we feel like we actually work that compassion out in policy? Well, that creates a conversation, yes. which is what politi- politics is supposed to be. Instead of saying you voted for this person, you were the devil. That person's the devil. Everything that you mm-hmm. think is dumb. And I'm just completely writing you off as a, as a human being and all of your ideas instead of saying, well, hey, there's actually some areas that we can actually agree on here. And and that's what we've seen happen politically. I mean, a generation ago, the difference between a Democrat and a Republican in general was more on how do you implement policy? It wasn't so much on the moral issues as much as it was how do we actually implement these things? Whereas now – if there's a stark moral contrast of like, mm-hmm. if you voted for this person, you are an immoral person. Yeah. Like you're a bad person. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, that's where that divisiveness is. Come. And the problem is, is then that bleeds over into the church when expert culture is your leader and not scripture, because then you're looking at the person across the aisle in church and saying, that's an immoral person in my right. church. Yeah. And that's a wrong accusation. You can't, you can't just label people like that. But, but I think the, the difference though, and I see it, between personhood and the value of the individual and the policy and whether it's good or bad, which we should be able to judge. So in other words, the danger is that I look at somebody's belief and their particular policy they're advocating, and then I degrade them as an individual to person as one made in the image of God. And so that's where I cross a line and where I go, where I go wrong, where the conversation shuts down. 
I, I think the polarization in policy, I, I don't know that we can get away with that anymore, but what we should be able to do is to have a conversation, discussion about it based on the intrinsic value of one that I believe is made in the image of God. Well, yeah. I think that's, going back to what we talked about last week, because I know I don't think it made it, but that's the whole purpose of this. Not right. that we disagree necessarily politically. I'm sure we have. I'm sure well, we, I know do. we do. But um, <laughs> I know we do. Yeah, I know we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is not that, everyone can be right. Yeah, no, we all hold different theological beliefs, but yet we're willing to sit down at a table, have a discussion that is honest and open. And at the end of the day, we're going to shake hands, hug each other, love each other, and keep going trying to build the kingdom of God. Well, that's what. And been, that's not. Yeah. Ha- and that's not happening with anything. Like you, even. Christians should do that absolutely, but even with somebody that you disagree with politically, sit down and have a conversation with that person. Because what I've learned is a lot of times you're talking past each other on so many issues. Now, there's certain issues, abortion, you can't talk past. I mean, it, it is just it is what it is. But when it comes to fiscal policy or or even foreign policy and things of that nature, a lot of times you can come to some. Oh, well, we agree on that or even, yeah, we disagree, but it's okay. It's not like this contentious thing as opposed to you're a liberal bad guy. But you're talking about the expert culture. I don't know how many, and you guys may have received these too, um, how many school board uh, people did y'all receive, like experts at school boards talking Mm -hmm. against masks or for masks? I'm like, I don't know how many of those I've got. I'm like, see, he's right. Well, how do you know that he's right? Right, because he confirms my bias. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's transition this a little bit. And I want to turn to you, Ben, um, about politics in the pulpit. Uh, you know, there's there's guys out there that are popular, especially on social media. There's one guy in particular that got kicked off of Twitter last week, and he's made a big deal. Um, I've listened to two of his messages just because I'm curious. I'm not going to name names, but I think I know who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, does he preach more about Trump than Jesus? Yeah, there's no okay. G, there's no scripture. There's no scripture. <laughs> yeah. If there is, it's very little, and it's very much a political rally rather than it is about Jesus, even though he's claiming to be revival. So I want to start with you. What is the role of the pastor in the pulpit in dealing with politics in your opinion? I think, um, for one, I think people should be preaching expositionally out of a text. And not just cherry picking, you know. Exposition. Explain that for somebody who may not understand what you're saying. Basically, open the Bible, read exactly what it says, and then explain what it's saying. And and then exhorting people, which means commanding somebody to do something based on what they just heard. Um, So, like, for instance, we preach verse by verse through books. I was in Matthew chapter 1 yesterday. We've been in Matthew for two years. and Chapter 1? 21. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, we're almost there. We're, we're almost to the post-millennial part. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and that, and that, that is one of the things that I've heard from people that have said, uh, this was one of the first churches I went to where somebody just opened the Bible and read the Bible and t- talked about the Bible. And it wasn't, here's a, a nice little verse, you know, and then run away on some rabbit trail. I think as far as the, the pulpit ministry, I think, my perspective is more of a cumulative approach in the sense of instead of trying to just uh, play like whack-a-mole where you have social issues and things that, that come up and you're just whack, 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 you know, trying to preach topical messages to address all those things. I think you have to play the long game with preaching of 
really what Terry's talking about with epistemology of pick whatever book in the Bible you want. It's going to have a biblical worldview and help people get rooted in using that book to think and make that an emphasis. And then if you come across subjects in the scripture, as you're making application, that exhortation part, you're not just doing a history lecture that's saying, what are you supposed to do with this? There is application that can happen to that. So as you're preaching through a text, and I would challenge people to do that because you'll find that in God's providence, it actually, the Holy Spirit actually knows what people need to hear before you do. And so he happens to make it work out to where you preach things that are profitable to people. But, um, but when that happens and you're exhorting that person of, here's, here's the principles that we see in scripture, uh, rightly understood in context, and here's what you need to do about it. There is going to be some practical application. Now, I, I don't think that necessarily means that the application is we're going to go down to the courthouse after church and protest, or we're going to go vote against this thing or whatever. I don't. I personally don't know of a lot of examples where I feel like that would be appropriate. So I, w- I would not really be for that. Mine is more of kind of just cultivating that worldview of showing people how did Jesus think, how did the apostles think, how did how did uh, the prophets think, and and how do we think more like how they thought, and in doing that, kind of enriching the soil of people's minds, so that when they encounter those issues in culture. They may not have a specific Bible verse, but they have the general flavor of how uh, God wants us to think that they can say, uh, I at least uh, have some some foundation to try to understand this in a more biblical way, as opposed to you should vote for this or you should not vote for this. It's more of based on what we see in Scripture, uh, what would David vote for or what would uh, you know Elijah vote for or... What does the law of Moses have to say about the subject? Um, Very fa- if you believe in the Old Testament. But. Amen. I do. It's great. Um, we just unhitched both. Um, you're, and I agree with you. I think it's what you're saying is building that foundation as opposed to going out to the branches and then having to backtrack to get, here's how, why we think this way. Um, so that's foundational. Terry, what do you think? Uh, the pulpit? Yeah, I agree. Because you, you have tackled topics I, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, our, our, our main, um, uh, to give a little contrast to what Ben uh, does in the pulpit, we, our main diet is preaching through books as well, but we take breaks and do topical things in between. And so we have taken, <laughs> we've taken some opportunity to delve into controversial issues on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but because our primary diet is, preaching through books of the Bible, we can point at things in in an overall, overall, overarching biblical worldview and say, well, here's why that fits in. And so, you know, I I love the analogy of a worldview tree. Right. Um, I was thinking about that when he was talking. Yeah. So, and the the analogy is that, you know, there's certain things that are foundational to other things. So you could start out, like you said, on the branches or the leaves arguing you know, should we do so-and-so uh, in, in terms of civics, downtown Asheville, or, you know, whatever, the homeless, homeless issue or, you know, whatever. Um, or rather than starting out on the branches, we can start at the roots and talk about proper theology, proper understanding of uh, anthropology, of, of what, mm-hmm. what is it to be human, and then what has value. You know, what are our ethics derived from? How should we treat one another? How does that reflect God's love for us and, and our worship of him and that, that sort of thing? 
Um, so I think the, the primary thing, and I think that's what people are missing. Mm-hmm. People, people get the leaves and twigs and branches all the time and from thousands of voices. But what they're missing is the root why. That's what forms these, why should I think this way? Right. You know, we, we, we tell people what to think a lot. <laughs> but we don't teach them how to think, just like Ben was saying. And so I, for, for me in the pulpit and in small groups and in one-on-one situations, I'm always trying to go back to the roots and then build out. And I think one of the reasons that we don't do that is because it's hard. <laughs> it takes a long time yeah. to yeah. cultivate a, a biblical worldview. It's easy to say that's wrong. It's easy to say, hey, that's wrong, but it's it's hard. For, Here's why it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the, the, the reason, um, you know, you guys who, who have children are able to raise uh, children who think well, it's because you've lived it out in front of them. They've seen consistency in your life, but you've also, from this old, taught them about God right. and the value of, of, of themselves and other people. No, we don't treat people that way. Here's why we don't treat people that way. That person's made in the image of God, right? God, God has given intrinsic value to that person. Therefore, you don't steal from them. You don't lie. You don't punch them in the mouth, you know, <laughs> whatever. Or you could, I mean, but then you say, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think I think there's issues like what you're saying, like on that tree. Like, for instance, I noticed um, this morning on the briefing, Al Mohler was talking about pronouns and how basically everybody's eventually going to be forced to deal with the pronoun issue. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in church would say, well, what I've had, I've had like college students ask me, for instance, I'm in a college class. They're requiring me to use a person's pronoun. It's possible that I could get disciplined by the school if I don't use their preferred pronoun. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is, is, is okay, before we tackle that issue, what does the Bible say about human beings, that biblical anthropology? So underneath of that, it's like, okay, based on what God says that people are, then how do I respond to that issue? Yeah, that's the key. But it is a lot harder. It takes a lot more work to get somebody to have that that foundation, which is why we should catechize our children who, from the young Who age. sets our identity? Is, what? Is, Cat- yes. Cat- yeah. what? Is and again, category? that's the expert. Is it, is it an anthropologist or is it God? Luxury model driving a catechism. Yeah, catechism. Yeah. Yeah, or Sounds Catholic. Catholic. I don't like it. I'm so again De- it. So Dennis, you, I mean, how have you handled it in the past? What what have been your methods of politics and pulpit? Well, that would be a basic agreement, probably right. somewhere in the more in the vicinity of Terry than Ben in terms of, you know, I believe thoroughly in the books sure. of, of the Bible. <laughs> certainly. Certainly. But, but I do think there are going to be those seasons and those times and, and occasions that arise that you need to hit that head on. And that's based on what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was questioned, and he didn't say, no, we want to talk about something else. You know, we're, we're in chapter of this, you know, in, in Exodus. But, but he, he dealt with those issues. Paul, same way, looked at the, at the first epistle to the Corinthians. Basically, he got all these questions. They had all these issues. And so he's drawing texts from here and there throughout the Old Testament, right, uh, to make those applications. So I think that's a pattern that we can follow because there are people sitting there with those questions. Now, if we preach through books of the Bible, we are going to hit most of those eventually. But I, I do think, like, like, for instance, you know, we just uh, remembered the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. Well, the Sunday after 9-11, I preached about those events and, and what that meant to us. It was such an overwhelming thing that happened. It just cried out to be addressed. So I broke away from the what I had been doing, the series, and, and went to that. So I think there's going to be those moments that arise 
that uh, that you need to deal with those things. It's like you know when they were on the Titanic and they're out there on the ocean, they hit the iceberg. They the captain didn't say, "Now we want to continue our regular maintenance schedule, and uh, you know uh, we want to talk to the chefs and have them lay out the uh, plans for the meals." No, it was like we got to get as many on the lifeboats as we can, right? And so, so I think there are those cultural moments when we have to really step up and hit those things. And, and to me, what we run into here is in this polarization, on one end of this thing in the, quote, Christian realm, you've got the dominionist people that believe they're going to bring the kingdom in themselves, you know, through what they do through politics. On the other end, you say the Amish, you say, we don't want anything to do with this world system. Neither one of us, none of us, are on those extremes. But there's that nuance in between a spectrum of ideas in which we fundamentally try to take the scripture and do that. And we can have those conversations, I think, about that when we do. For me, I mean, I, I'm i like you. I, I'll hit them head on. I, mean, I, I typically preach the books of the Bible, um, including the Old Testament. And, Amen. Um, um, Glory! But... Uh, but I, I, like you said, I think it's hard. It would have been hard for you on that fall and Sunday after 9-11 to not address it because everybody there is thinking it. Sure. That's so it's like, it's like leveraging it. Uh, that's why, I'm, you know, holidays, I know we've had this discussion in the past, but, you know, 4th of July, if it comes on Sundays on 4th of July or, you know, you name it, uh, I think you can leverage it. Like 9, 12, whenever, two weeks ago, I, I brought up 9, 11 as a part of my intro. Um, so I think because everybody else is thinking about it, I think you can leverage that uh, in the message and to hit those directly uh, in the mouth. But to Ben's point, what I have found interesting is when certain things within the church, uh, not so much politics because that it's a little bit muddier, but when things have arisen in the church, it's like the text. I'm like, I gotta find something. If the text where we're at is like hit it right in the mouth, and I'm like, okay, God, I, I I get it. But the the thing for me personally as a pastor, and I guess you guys, this is my biggest concern with politics in the church, is that. I'm doing a discipleship. We're doing discipleship training now on Wednesday nights. And one of the biggest reasons why people don't share their faith or, you know, have conversations, gospel conversations with people is because of fear of rejection or they don't know what they're talking about. Or um, you, you, everybody knows the list of why people don't share their faith. But yet, um, my goodness, they'll get in a debate about Trump mm-hmm. or Biden in a heartbeat. Ball and, team. And they will ball. Yeah. And they will share all these websites and they dig into researching and it really boils down to what is your hope? Ultimately, what is your hope? You're going to talk about what your ultimate hope is. And it's not to say that you can't talk about politics, but if you're talking about politics way more than you are Jesus, you're finding your hope in Biden or Trump than you are in Jesus. And he's the one who's going to, he's going to win. You know, Jesus is ultimately going to win. And so um, that is my biggest um fear with the church is the boldness that the church has about politics, but doesn't have about Jesus, I think is very telling in my opinion. And that's, that's the thing I've tried to address in our church, you know, that politics can be an idol and is an idol to people who even claim to be Christians. And so that's, that's a true fear that I have. So how would you guys strike the balance? 
how do you strike the balance of there's some people, as you mentioned, like with Amish, I'm not touching it. I'm not talking about politics. I'm avoiding politics to someone who that's all they talk about. I, I've I've got friends on Facebook who are pastors and they talk way more about politics than they do Jesus. Um, so how do we strike that balance as believers, not only as pastors, but as believers in Christ? How do we strike the balance of being engaged in politics, which I do believe is is important, but also making the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus. How do we balance that? Well, I think, uh, you know, Jesus is the only one who got it perfect, okay? <laughs> Full of grace and truth. And and I'm more like a pendulum swinging back and forth. So sometimes more grace, sometimes more truth. Every now and then I'll get it about right, and then I, then I move away. So, so I think realizing our own uh, fallibility. But where I come down on this thing, what I'm trying to do is to avoid... Uh, compartmentalization. Yes. To where I've got the secular mm. and the sacred. It's a good word. And and what I want to be is is holistic in the approach that all of my life is mm. to be informed by my faith. If God is the absolute, if his truth is that perfect standard, then it ought to affect every decision I make, every thought I have, every word I say, uh, the passions and emotions that I have. I'm not going to always succeed, but but this is my goal. And if I aim for it, I'm going to be more likely to get close to it than if I don't even have that. But if I start saying, well, this is the way I deal with politics, this is the way I deal with church stuff, you know, there, there's a lawful separation of church and state, I think, in terms of not letting, uh, you know, having a theocracy or just a, a secular the church culture. church is not state. Right, yeah. right. But... If we're not careful, then in, in that division, what we do is we begin to think, I believe, uh, muddy in a muddy way mm -hmm. rather than a clear way. Yeah. What do you guys think? How do you strike the balance outside of that? That's good. It's pretty good. You know, I, I just sounded very Schaeferian, Dennis. <laughs> I, so I like that. I like that. <laughs> to put some knickers on you. Yeah. Look like Francis Schaefer. That'd be nice. Um, got to get a better beard, though. I'm a mullet. Yeah. 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 But I, but I, I fully agree with what Dennis is saying. That you know, there, there seems to be this. Um, we, we can, we can go to the extreme and think that, um, like the, you were saying, here's how I think about politics. Here's how I think about sports. Here's how I think about my family, and not see them as a cohesive right. thing where God has dominion over over yes. all of them. Or we can, we can say, well, this is how I believe about politics versus my religion. Or we can make politics our religion. Mm -hmm. Right. So and it tends to be when we isolate one thing outside of the purview of God, so to speak, that thing becomes our God. Like whatever it is we take outside of God's authority in our lives or and I, and I, I think this goes to part of it as well. We have to give people um, we have to assume that their motives are at least as good as our motives. Mm. Right. Like so. That's a good so, look, yeah. so, so I can't say you. You have this imbalance in your Christian worldview. It's not the same imbalance that I have. I have I have imbalances and incongruities. I know I do. Um, but to, to say that, well, you have that because your motive is nefarious or inferior to my motive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, but to assume maybe they just have never been given a, bib a biblical worldview. Maybe they don't, they don't have the tools in their bag to assess. Maybe they don't have the proper grid to fit things through. And so uh, to to get to, to give grace to quote unquote the weaker brother that way, instead of assuming that they're doing that because 
they have an e- an evil motive, right? They just they can be they can be wrong, right? Well, like Ben Ben brought it up earlier. You know, most of my liberal friends they view themselves as truly Christian and compassionate. That they show love. Mm-hmm. They truly love their neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and morally the, superior. Yeah, and, sure. yeah, and the whole idea of well, pro life only concerns about the womb. You know, they, they don't right. care about controlling after, women's body. Yeah, they don't care about after they're born. You know, they just care about the womb. And and, and so, like you said, their motives, I the ones I it, it is kind of quasi compassionate because there's obviously major problems there. But like you said, their motives, I believe, are. are so our harmful. goal is then or our job is to take them to the root of the tree. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why are you so compassionate toward people? You know, what gives people, why do they have such value that you should be compassionate? Because we all agree we should be compassionate toward people, but they don't understand. They're out on the leaves of the tree, (laughs) right? And we got to take them to the root. Manny, you got to add more on the balance? Um, I don't know that I have a a ton of wisdom on that one. It's actually something I'm I'm really thinking through and trying to study more right now. Um, We've got young people in our church that are coming to me and saying that we need more instruction on this. Uh, they're oh, saying, yeah, but, but at the same time, there's the challenge of what is the right format to do that? Is it best to do it from the pulpit? We were doing uh, once a month, we were doing a Sunday evening Q and a, where we would let people submit questions and we would do a panel discussion with our elders. Um, and so do we do that? Do we do it in a writing form, like a blog? Do we do videos? Um, do we just do one-on-ones with people or small groups? And, so we're, we're trying to kind of like hammer out because we do need to instruct more on those issues. We can't just ignore those things because they're saying my college professor did this or my coworker did this or my family members doing this or I'm feeling this way or whatever. And they need they do need some guidance on uh, how, you know, how how to navigate those kind of issues. And so uh, I think the pulpit is a way that, that that can be done, like what Terry's saying. I think I think there is a way that you can do a series, say, on something like biblical anthropology and just say, okay, let's look at some key texts to help formulate that worldview. Um, and so I don't know that there – I'm not saying that the way that my church does it is the only right way right. to do it in that in that sense. But one of the things that but I'm – your re- way has worked. It, it has to some extent, but it has its, it has its right. pros and cons too, like what I'm saying. Obviously, it's not working enough that all of our young people feel totally equipped for all of the issues. And so there's areas that we can be improving, you know, in the way that we're uh, help discipling them with that. I think the other thing is that I'm really thinking through, and this is, this could be a topic for another day, but basically uh, based on eschatology and those kind of things and like what you're saying, the, the, the contrast between like dominion, like a dominion view and then like a totally – non-governmental view like the Amish, uh, where should the church fit? And then what does it look like for it to fit in that place? So I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the church needs to exercise a much stronger influence on the culture through things like politics. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think that the way that that happens is the way that everybody thinks. So for instance, I I don't think getting the right presidential candidate in America is going to fix everything. And so it's like somewhere in between that is like okay we're not we're not bringing the culture in to love one another. Are given a biblical worldview. Yes, <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Decide. 
So, well, I, I would, I would, I would suggest that that one uh, inevitably ends up indeed, at the other. Indeed. Even if that's in death, that's so, why, uh, like R.C. Sproul is a Baptist right now. So let's have a little bit of fun here um, to kind of close this up, and I think this is something that can be a good exercise for us, for viewers at home watching this. We talk a lot about closed-handed issues theologically mm-hmm. and secondary issues theologically. So from a biblical worldview, what issues politically are closed-handed for believers? Mm. Violations of the Ten Commandments would be an easy place to point. Yes. Okay. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's a concrete way to, you know. Brought that Old Testament back. I'll vote. I'll vote. So with, with good principles force blasphemy laws? Well, the Ten Commandments say something is evil. They don't necessarily say it should be illegal, right? Well, I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah. So I would not enforce blasphemy laws. Okay. Um, what about Sabbath laws? No. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that the Ten Commandments should be law. I'm saying the yeah. law should be based on the Ten Commandments. You're making a distinction between civil law and moral law. Yeah. Well, and I'm specific. Yes. But I'm specifically saying that we need a grounding for for close-handed issues. I would not disagree. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Plain devil's advocate. But um, so I would say... Um, because the Ten Commandments are rooted in why we should treat each other certain ways. You right. guys know the first half seemed to be our relationship with God. The second half seemed to be our relationship with one another. And they and, and it has to be in that order, right? And so, but as Christians... Love God, love people. Yeah. But yeah. but as Christians... Got to get the first right. Are we going to... What are we going to hold as, as close-handed issues? Well, the, particularly the second half of the Ten Commandments tell us these you can't violate these as a Christian and be and 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 please God right right and so those things would be close-handed issues for sure. Uh, we're talking about abortion that's clearly there right. You shouldn't murder. So it's it's even more like abortion is, yeah. is an obvious one. And there's, yeah. It's taxation is theft. <laughs> we're actually <laughs> we're actually uh, we're well, we're, well, we're not of, doing an episode on that. That'd yeah, be good. Yeah, Did yeah. we do one of those? We need to call Dylan Justice um, if he's watching. Um, we're actually, well, we're hosting, we're kind of co-hosting. We're actually having a pro-life apologetics conference in January at our church. So uh, through uh, one of the pregnancy centers here. So abortion's the obvious one. Yes. Okay. Uh, marriage. Yes, sanctity of marriage. Okay. Sanctity of marriage. Fundamental. Close-handed. Beyond that. Which is not in the Ten Commandments. But polygamy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the argument everybody wants to make. You know, it was good enough for Abraham. Yeah. So, obviously, but, not. but when it comes to let, let's go to some of the so those are the two close fisted things. They are to me. Um, what about budget? I think the close handed thing on budget is our heart behind it. Okay, right. So, again, throughout the eons of time, people have disagreed on economic policy, right, and always will, right, right. But is is it um, is it consistent with <clears throat> Um, a biblical anthropology, for example, right? Am, Go into that. Right. So, so um, am I helping this person by, say, giving them a government handout, or am I hurting this person? You know, is a better way is is my goal to put a bandaid on the on the problem, or is my goal to heal that person as best I can by God's grace? Right. Okay. So, um, so the closed-handed part of that is our motive, right? If we can meet and say, okay. Or are we going to talk about putting a band-aid on and making ourselves feel better? Or are we going to try to work? 
the, for the best that we can figure out for the good of this individual or this family or, or, or whatever. And I think that's where we can find more common ground. Because if we start out there at the policies, people are already dug in on the policies. This is how I do it. This is, but if we can, like you said earlier, if we can talk about here's our end goal, right. let's just let's work on that. We, we usually agree on the end goal when it comes to stuff like that. When it comes to that, if we start in that direction. Right. And so I think we can, we, we will at least have more common ground than we would if we started out at policy. Right. Right. So if, if we start at the, the, the why, uh, who is that person? That's somebody made in the image of God, right? Like they've fallen on hard times. They're sinners. They make bad choices like I make bad choices. Let's bring the kingdom of God to bear on their lives and bring healing to them best way we can. And let's let's figure that out. Yeah, but there are New Testament principles of economics. And, and Without you go back into Proverbs, you know, there's many uh, issues that are dealt with. And what I would suggest to you is, it's okay, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I love it. Cap capitalism is not a, a biblical system, but based on hmm. my understanding of the scripture, it would be the closest in a fallen world to an economic system that would function, a free enterprise type system. But what would be the heart problem behind capitalism? It could be greed. Well, yeah, sinful, sinful, right. yeah, covetousness, right? Yeah. So, so that so that's why we wouldn't start with capitalism. We would right. start with, with the yeah, yeah. yeah, right. So, so economic. Let's talk uh, foreign policy. Not somebody else think I talk too much. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Foreign policy. But foreign policy is is uh, we're not going to go into just war theory. If you if you look at but for for <laughs> instance important. for instance I mean like re recent situations and others. There are people. There are people making valid arguments on both sides of issues. For instance, um, some people are of the persuasion that basically other countries mind their own business. Why should we not mind our own business? Like, should we not be concerned about our own internal issues before we're trying to go fix other people's issues? I think there, there's a valid argument to be made there. Mm -hmm. Consequently, other people make the argument that you know, uh, as Famously, as Uncle Ben told Spider-Man, you know, power. with great power comes great responsibility, right? And so the fact is, a lot of nations don't have the ability to help other nations, and we actually do. So do do we therefore have a responsibility to do that? That's really, I think both sides could agree with that, right? Do we have responsibility to help others? I think a lot of liberals would say, well, yeah, if we have the ability to help somebody, we should help somebody because we need to care about other people. Uh, should we also set boundaries and, and let other people make decisions for their own countries and their own governments and economies that are not influenced by us? Yes, other countries have the right to make decisions that we may not necessarily agree with. So then the conversation comes, how can we how how can we develop policy and take actions with all of the holding these things in both hands as opposed to polarizing them and saying you're either an imperialist that's like conquering other nations or uh, you know, you just uh, are basically begging terrorists to come and blow you up. Isolation. Well, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, so Terry, it gets back to what he likes to reference so often our worldview. So, take a look at Afghanistan, total disaster. And we tried to make them American. But right. their basic worldview and their culture. <laughs> right. No, they, they, there's no way that they're going to get there. All we've done now is to equip them to be more. <laughs> Terroristic and take advantage of people yeah. that through through our efforts, well-meaning, well-intentioned, but just well, that's a perfect situation. We, if you look at polls and things now about that, 
liberals and conservatives yes. are in agreement that that was not handled appropriately. Yes. And both sides actually agreed that we probably needed to get out of Afghanistan. Oh, sure. Even the even the conservatives did. And so the issue again wasn't should we be there or should we not be there? Most people felt like we probably shouldn't be there or at least not exercising the amount of influence that we had. Um, but most people also agreed that we shouldn't just strand people and be like, you know, good luck, grab the next flight out if you can find one. And here's eighty billion dollars so, worth of weapons. Yeah, and so so some, somewhere in between that, they like these black hawk, <laughs> right? And somewhere, and, and here's what happened. What happened is, is it came down to a few people pushing a red button, and whatever their view was was gospel. Instead of it being a conversation like our government's designed to be between parties with different perspectives oh, yeah. of saying. Okay, how can how we both agree that this needs to happen? How do we work together? Let's let's bring in all the perspectives so that we don't miss something like having more than one airport or having more troops on the ground to ensure people's safety or whatever it is. If other voices would have been brought into the conversation, we may have ended up in a much better scenario. And that's a perfect example of if you just insulate yourself and you're in an echo chamber and it's just me and my three friends that agree with me that are right it's usually going to blow up in your face, right. you know, and it's easy. It's easy for people that don't like Biden to point at Biden and say that, but let's be real. Uh, Trump did that kind of stuff too. George W. Bush did that. Sure. They're, they're all men. Right. And the benefit to doing those kind of things would be uh, looking at perspective as opposed to, um, as opposed to things like, for instance, like with immigration, you know, that's, that's, if you're, you know, if you, if, if you support, you know, uh, stronger borders and all that kind of stuff, then you're a racist. Right. You know, or you don't care about people. Yeah, or yeah, or you don't care about all these poor people that <laughs> are trying to come here and get help. Yes, Jesus was an immigrant, um, and uh, and he fled to another country, and you know all this other kind of stuff, and and you don't believe that. But then on the other hand, it's like okay, well if you if you agree on uh, less restrictive border policies, then you're destabilizing all of America, and you have this secret agenda to dismantle our entire country through rigged elections and whatever. And so it's like if you start going down this path, and then it's like, okay, but did that person actually say that? Right. You know, I heard Mark Dever say something once that really stuck with me, especially when it comes to theology. He said, never take somebody's theology further logically than they do. Because what we do is, is we try to chase the logical trail of that person's perspective out, and we take it farther than they do. It's, it's like with me. If anybody disagrees with me, I can get take enough steps to get them into heresy. And just be like, you're a heretic because you disagree with me because you believe this and then this and then this. And then. Now, that person may have never said any of those things. But it's easy to go that way. That's how people end up in cage-stage Calvinism, right. right? Is everybody that's not a diehard five-point Calvinist is not saved because of the logical steps of it. Right. Um, instead of instead of asking that person like, well, do you actually believe this or that about that issue? And they're like, well, no. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you should take them at their word instead of just again labeling them and writing them off as this person's trash. And then you can ask, why don't you believe this next extension of the logical outworking of your view? <laughs> right, right. And and you can take them to the root of the tree. Right. And and that my response about Afghanistan and what you were talking about with the refugees is goes back to what Terry said: the why. Like, for example, the foreign policy issue, I mean, I was in the military and like Italy and anyway, <clears throat> why do we care about Afghanistan and Iraq, but not the people, the genocides happening in Africa? Like, we're, it's or a, China. It's, Africa doesn't have any resources. Ding, bingo. And that goes to the why are we doing or, it. Or China. Right. right. Why are we yeah, doing China's it? allowed to have concentration camps. Oh, Those yeah. are really bad in Germany, but they're cool in China as long as we get our cheap North, t-shirts. North Korea too. Yeah. So yeah. That, it goes to the why with foreign policy. 
because there's not very, there's not been very many wars uh, outside of you know World War II, for example, that it was very much justified of here's why we're going into this. Moral. And it was a moral issue. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's why I fall more, I'm not an isolationist, but I fall more in that camp because it's like the perp, the reasons why. The immigration thing. You know, we sit here and well, the, the borders and, and things of that nature. And, well, why do we allow this to happen but not this to happen? What is our reasoning behind that? You know, and it to me it gets where you're like, man, there's some jacked up people in the world like the the and that's where the conspiracy stuff comes up but the the why it all the goes Illuminati. back to, it all goes back to the why why is this occurring you know why are we doing this why is all this occur i mean you can look at 911 and all the Iraq stuff that happened and we're going into you know Iraq why <laughs> You know, Taliban was in Afghanistan. It didn't make sense. Right. It didn't well, make they sense. got there. We got there. Bitch. They have weapons. Right. We have that great of intelligence that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think it it all goes down to the why. So foreign policy. But would you guys agree that the majority of would you say that budget stuff and foreign policy are open handed to a point? It's not. There's no close handed. It's the not why, like we're going to break fellowship. That's what I was saying. The yeah. why is closed-handed. Right. Right. We we have to agree on the on the why. Right. But the, the branch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like like for instance, there are other countries that have different governmental and economic systems than America that Christians thrive in. Mm -hmm. There are socialist countries that Christians do still have rights in and are able to gather freely and and do those kind of things. And I think we forget. Uh, the goal is not for every country to be like America for us as Christians. And we should be thankful for the freedoms and things that we have. But sometimes people act like, well, if, if the government, like, you know, oh, well, now we're getting these stimulus checks and we're getting all these things and they're going to switch us to universal basic income and inflation is going to go up and the economy is going to collapse and then the government's going to rush in to save us with a, with a communistic government. Well, you know what? That might happen. But you know what? That's happened in other places too. And the church is still there. It's survived the rise and fall of empires. Like the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's a politician going to do? So you know? while we should, but I, I would argue, and I'm sure we would all agree, we should fight back against that. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, but not place our hope in the fight back against that. Our hope is in Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Right. Not against America. But America is the new Israel, right? <laughs> right. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that there's unanimity, we need to conclude. Yeah. yeah. We <laughs> So if you got any questions, comments, throw them in the comment section, and uh, I'm sure we'll dig more into stuff, probably virus and the, the effects of politics in the church. There's a virus? No, mm -hmm. not a virus. But thanks for joining us. Yep. See you next time. Ciao. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review.